Hello. Welcome to the Myths and History of Greece and Rome. Chapter 82. The Year of the Six Emperors. The Year of the Six Emperors was not like the Year of the Four Emperors. In 69 AD, there was a real contest. The old emperor's dead, and it's time to see who'll be emperor next. We've all got a few legions, so let's fight it out. In 238, it was different. Everyone had had enough of Maximine Thrax, but nobody was ready to challenge him. But why, just three years after he successfully grabbed the throne, was his stock so dreadfully low? Maximine was the first emperor of the Romans who had no pedigree at all. He wasn't a member of a prominent family, he had no connection with the Senate. Macrinus had been the first emperor of equestrian rank, but Maximine was even more lowly born. He was the first of what would be known as the soldier emperors. As time went on, particularly during the 3rd century, soldier emperors would become the norm. Maximine was a career soldier, and soldiering was what he did best. The soldiers loved him, and they loved him even more when he doubled their pay. The empire, though, couldn't afford the bill, and so Maximine had to find some more money. So, what did he do? He taxed the provinces heavily, and he sent violent tax collectors to collect the money. Cruelty and corruption were rife. The Senate was very unhappy, and they didn't approve of this barbarian brute that they had been forced to accept as their new emperor. There was not much they could do about it, however, and Maximine couldn't have cared less whether they approved or not. He hated the city, the aristocracy, and anything else to do with Rome, including the Senate. He never went to Rome as emperor, and he never wanted to go. Maximine was also far from keen on any foreigners attacking the borders of the empire, particularly German tribes like the Alamanni, who had been promised lots of cash by Alexander Severus if they ceased their aggression. The new emperor didn't believe in paying the Germans to be peaceful. He was going to restore order by more violent means. The Alamanni had been very happy with the promise of treasure, but they were in for a rude awakening. Maximine spent most of the first two and a half years of his reign fighting and beating the Germans. A career soldier he most certainly was, and soldiering was what he was good at. He was, though, hopeless at just about everything else required of a real ruler of a massive empire. As the first couple of years of his reign went by, Maximine's deficiencies became clearer and clearer to just about everyone, except his soldiers. The thugs sent to collect the taxes were violent and threatening, and pretty much everyone was suffering. The Senate was also caught up in the chaos. The giant Thracian conducted a vicious purge, during which he executed any senator, governor, equite or military officer who he thought had been either too close to the Severans or seemed likely to promote revolt. He was extremely paranoid and very few senior Roman families escaped without losing a member or two to the purge. Inevitably, eventually, everyone had had enough and in 238 a series of events occurred that would plunge the empire even further into chaos. The crisis of the 3rd century was well underway. So, we've met and got to know Maximine Thrax. So it doesn't get too confusing, let's meet the other five men who would play their parts in the year of the six emperors. Again, as we did with the four emperors, from the year of the four emperors, we will introduce them in order of age. Marcus Antonius Gordianus Sempronianus Romanus Africanus was born around the year 159 and he came from a well-to-do family. He served as governor of Lower Britannia in around 216 and in 238 he was the proconsul of the province of Africa. We will call this man Gordian I. Gordian was very popular in Africa, as he was kind, just and friendly, and threw the best games anyone had ever seen. Gordian was not interested in war or politics, and instead wrote books.
Marcus Clodius Pupienus Maximus was probably born in the 160s. Although he may have been poor at the beginning of his career, his rise, largely through military positions, was rapid. He had been proconsul of Bithynia, Greece and Narbonensis, and legatus of either Upper or Lower Germany. He won victories over the Sarmatians and the other Germans. He was consul twice, the first time possibly in 207, and the second in 234, when he was prefect of the city of Rome. In 238, he was a prominent senator. Not much is known about Decimus Caelius Calvinus Balbinus before his sudden rise to the top job. He was a patrician from birth, and was son, either by birth or adoption, of Caelius Calvinus, who was legate of Cappadocia in 184. According to the historian Herodian, he had governed provinces, and he certainly had been twice consul. He was consul for the second time in 213, as a colleague of Caracalla, which suggests he enjoyed that emperor's support. In 238, he was also a senator in Rome. Marcus Antonius Gordianus Sempronianus Romanus Africanus was the only known son of Marcus Antonius Gordianus Sempronius the Elder, and he had been born in 192. He was serving in Africa as part of his father's staff in 238. We'll call this man, for the sake of convenience, Gordian II. Marcus Antonius Gordianus Pius was the son of Gordian II's sister, and thus the grandson of Gordian I. He had been born in 225 AD, and so was only 13 years old during the year of the six emperors. We will know this boy as Gordian III. Maximine Thrax stayed on the borders for his entire reign, collecting horrible taxes and giving the money to his soldiers. Most of the rest of the time he spent looking for disloyal senators and executing them. He was completely unsuited to the wide range of tasks required of the leader of the civilised world, and it was too much for him. He was most comfortable around fighting men, and only they were comfortable around him. In March 238, a senior man in Africa decided that a particularly unfair judgement involving confiscation of property and cash to pay the legions even more was not acceptable, and a force was gathered which killed the judge in question. Soon, this escalated into a full-scale revolt. The mob travelled to Carthage to see the provincial governor, an old man called Gordian, and demanded that he lead a rebellion against the despicable emperor who was responsible for their misery. Gordian hadn't been seen as too severan or too aristocratic, and therefore had not been exiled or executed during Maximine's purge. He was very surprised to be asked to lead a rebellion. It's very difficult to ascertain the actual chronology of the events which followed, but we'll do our best to pick through it. Apparently, Gordian really wasn't keen on being emperor. He was an old man, and he'd kept his head down during the previous civil wars. He was happy out in Africa, away from the intrigue and general chaos that Rome was experiencing. When he realised the rebels were not going to take no for an answer, he demanded that his son also be made emperor. At only 46, the younger Gordian was more likely to be a long-term success than he was. The people agreed, and Gordian I and Gordian II were proclaimed joint emperors by the people of Africa. The Senate was, of course, delighted. The senators met and decided to throw the full weight of their support behind the Gordians. They declared them emperors, and they also declared Maximine Thrax an enemy of the state. The people cheered and celebrated in the streets. A council of 20 important senators was created ready to defend Italy and Rome. Two of these senators were Pupienus and Balbinus. The senators sent messages to all of the provincial governors asking them to join the rebellion. They then assassinated Maximine's Praetorian prefect. 
Unfortunately for the Gordians, the Senate and pretty much everyone else, the only legion near Africa was commanded by Capilianus, a general loyal to the Thracian. As they published their programme, promising suppression of informers and a return to a more enlightened government, they were about to be suppressed themselves. Capilianus began to march on Carthage. Gordian II raised a small army and went to meet the legion. One small army of locals was no match for a full legion, and Gordian's army was badly defeated. Gordian II himself was killed in the battle. On hearing what had happened, Gordian I killed himself before the legion had the chance to do it for him. These two emperors had sort of been on the throne-ish for about a month. So, in the year of the six emperors, two down, four to go. The senators heard what had happened and were very worried. It was highly likely that they would all be killed when Maximine arrived and took his revenge. They didn't know what to do. They could plead with Maximine and pretend it had all been a big mistake. They could find someone else to lead a new rebellion. They could run away to the far corners of the empire so nobody would find them. Or they could put their fingers in their ears, shout la 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 and pretend that none of this was happening. In the end, they realised there was really no option. They would have to go through with the rebellion. They decided to choose, from the Council of Twenty, two senators who could spearhead the new rebellion. These two men were Pupienus and Balbinus. When this was announced to the people, however, it didn't go down too well. They had been fine with the Gordians, but they didn't love these two old senators. They demanded that the 13-year-old grandson of Gordian I was made co-emperor with the other two. Pupienus and Balbinus needed the support of the people, so Gordian III was named Caesar, and the new rebellion was definitely on. For the first time, the Roman Empire had three emperors ruling at the same time. Pupienus was a soldier, and Balbinus was a skilled lawyer and orator. They should have made the perfect team, acting like the consuls of former years, each being a balance to the other. It should have worked well. Sadly for everyone, it simply didn't, for reasons we will discover in a moment. Pupienus headed for Ravenna to take charge of the Italian military, and Balbinus remained in Rome to run the empire. Maximine Thrax had heard about the rebellion of the Gordians and started to make preparations to march on Rome. He did what a soldier should do and made, th- made sure the borders were well defended, and then he left. If he'd left straight away, things may have turned out differently, but he didn't, and this sealed his fate. Eventually, though, he and his armies headed towards Italy. Maximine Thrax was very, very, very annoyed. He intended to torture, beat and kill every senator that he could find. They had betrayed him, and he was going to eliminate them. The Thracian emperor led his army over the Alps and reached Aquileia. He demanded that the city open its gates to his men and give them food and shelter so they could be rested for the long march to Rome. The citizens refused. Maximine was completely furious and laid siege to the city. The walls were strong, and the city held out. Maximine raged and wailed in anger. He punished his men when they did very small things wrong, and they stopped loving him learning to fear him and eventually hate him. They were besieging a Roman city. Why? What crime had the city committed? In the end, a few officers did what needed to be done. Maximine, his son and their supporters were killed. The officers put the Thracian's head on a spike and carried it to the gates of the city. When they saw the head, the citizens opened the gates and welcomed in the soldiers. Maximine Thrax has received a very bad press. Even the brief tale I have told in this chapter seems to indicate he was a thoroughly bad man. This isn't really the case. Maximine had no training or any of the inherent skills to be emperor. 
he was a soldier, and a very good one. The campaigns he busied himself with on the northern borders were successful. The barbarians were kept out. The fact that he couldn't bring an empire in crisis together and rule it equitably has to go down as one of the least surprising of imperial failures. Still, failed he had, and dead he was. Three down, three to go. The soldiers and the people were at last united. Maybe a new day and a new sense was dawning. But, no, it wasn't. Of the three remaining emperors, Gordian III was an emperor in name only. He didn't have any real power. The two joint Augusto simply didn't get on. Balbinus had been left in charge of Rome and the administration of the empire, while Pupienus marched to meet and challenge Maximine. He hadn't had to challenge anyone, though, because Maximine's officers had already killed the Thracian. So Pupienus marched back to Rome and found that many of the services and improvements the people had expected weren't in place. He immediately blamed Balbinus. Balbinus, of course, hit back. Neither man thought very highly of the other, and each thought that he was the brains of the operation. The story goes that they divided the imperial palace, pretty much like Caracalla and Gedda had done before them, and rarely spoke to each other. There was no way the empire could be efficiently run, and peacefully run, like this. The two joint emperors were not popular with the people of Rome, and they were booed in the streets when they went out. The coinage of the time, one of the great propaganda tools of the Imperium, shows the two men clasping hands and looking for all the world like bosom buddies. They gaze out of the metal as if they really were the joint fathers of the Senate. But they weren't. Neither man resonated with the people, and certainly not with the Praetorian Guard. The men of the Guard were particularly concerned that Pupienus's band of German bodyguards would usurp their position. The Praetorian Guard, murderers of many an emperor, decided that yet again enough was enough. They rioted at the end of the Capitoline Games, then they stormed the palace. Pupienus and Balbinus, true to form, couldn't agree on how to respond. Pupienus wanted to send in his Germans, but Balbinus reasoned, probably correctly, that if his colleagues' bodyguards won the day, then they would only see the need for one emperor afterwards, and it wouldn't be him. He argued that sending the Germans against the Praetorians would just escalate the situation. Pupienus violently disagreed. While they were arguing, the Praetorians ran in and seized them, ripping off their clothes and dragging them through the streets to their camp. Within a few minutes, two more emperors were dead. Both Pupienus and Balbinus had been so convinced the other was going to try and oust him, they hadn't even considered that somebody else might kill them both. They'd led the empire for a few months. The sarcophagus of Balbinus and his wife was discovered near the Appian Way in modern times, and is the only one from ancient Rome that survived. It shows the emperor and his wife reclining, and contains a good portrait of him. So, five down, one to go. And so began the crisis of the 3rd century. The year of the six emperors is the next 50 years in microcosm. Emperors come to the throne and then are struck down, usually by their own soldiers, and replaced. This pattern would repeat and repeat over the coming 50 years or so. The year of the six emperors was not disastrous in itself, but the subsequent problems would be. Pretty soon the external enemies of Rome would sense blood. The German barbarians would take advantage and attack from the north, and the new empire rising in Persia would attack from the east. The empire would fracture, and it is a miracle that it survived at all. But that's for later. For now, 13-year-old Gordian III is the sole emperor of the empire. Another young emperor at the great time of crisis. Surely this can't be good. And no, it wasn't good. 
but not quite in the way that people might have expected. If you enjoy the podcast, then please pop down to www.mythandhistory.podbean.com, the website for the podcast. There you will find a donation button. Any help towards hosting costs is always much appreciated. If you'd like to give me feedback or just ask questions, then please contact me on Facebook, Paul Vincent Myth and History, or by email, mythandhistory at gmail.com. In the next chapter, we'll get through another couple of emperors. Until then, have a great couple of weeks, and I'll speak to you next time.